Hi guys, Callum here from Northern Dice. I feel like I'm late to the party with this one, as this is a party game podcast, and most parties are going to be happening over New Year's, but hopefully this is going to help set you up for the year on what games I personally have had experience in or would recommend you play at parties over the course of this next coming year. Now I find party games quite different to board games in the respect that party games are something that everyone is open to play. Quite often for me it's always been oriented around parties, you know, drinking, having fun, realistically letting loose as much as possible. Nothing to say that you can't play party games outside of a party, nothing to say you can't play board games at a party, but just the actual name party game sort of makes people's eyes light up that little bit more. Now during this podcast I'm going to be talking about six party games that I have played and do enjoy. That's not to say that they're only party games, that's not to say that they're the best party games I've played. These are six party games that I've played and I have enjoyed that I would honestly hand on heart recommend for other people. Now the first one is one that I have owned for a while. I played it a long, long time ago back when I was living up north and this is one of those games that I couldn't get out of my head until I owned it myself and it's Bucket of Doom by Big Potato Games. So the idea behind Bucket of Doom is that everybody's thrown into a situation where if you don't do something, you're going to die, or worse. And you've got to build a narrative on how you're going to escape that situation. Now you start the game with two cards, and each card has got a black side and a white side, and everybody just agrees on which side you're going to use. And then, during the narrative that you build up by saying it to people as a story, you've got to identify how you're going to use the item to save yourself from that situation. Nine times out of ten... It doesn't work, but it's funny. Big Potato Games are well known for doing party games. That's sort of their forte, that's what they produce. But this is one that I genuinely, absolutely adore. It's hilarious, in my opinion. Not everybody goes for it. It takes a lot of thinking on your feet. And to be honest, unless, of course, you can get over that initial embarrassment of saying something stupid, you're not going to enjoy it. But... Being put into a situation and trying to escape it using narrative and a helpful item is right up my street. And it's got quite a lot of dark humour to it as well. Anytime someone says they like Cards Against Humanity, the first thing I recommend is Bucket of Doom. It's one of those, if you enjoy the dark humour and being, well, quite ridiculous in what you're saying, then you're really going to enjoy Bucket of Doom. It just It's that extra step beyond. It's no longer just matching cards to suit someone's taste. It's being able to say something to meet everybody's tastes. But, as I said, it requires you to break the embarrassment boundary. And once everybody's done that, it really flows really, really well. If you've got anybody who isn't willing to break that boundary and doesn't want to just think on their feet, build a narrative on how they're going to escape in a situation with some ridiculous item, then you're really going to struggle with this one, I'm afraid. But for those people that do immediately get on with it excellently, I would always recommend resorting to the MacGyver rule, which is you plan the story, you're given the narrative, you build it all up, and just as you're about to whip out your item, you turn over a card, and then you've just got to work with it. You've got to make it flow. You either escape or you perish. In my experience, I'd definitely say that as a party game, it works best with between five and eight players. Too few stories, and everything starts to sound a bit repetitive, but too many stories, and it starts to get lost, and people start to lose track of who said what. For me, Bucket of Doom is always going to be one of the top party games. I really, really enjoy it. I enjoy that sort of thinking on your feet, and being able to actually roll with a narrative as opposed to being given a card and having to just match it to another card. Saying that, it's not up everybody's street. I'd recommend that if you haven't tried it or don't own it, and you do have a lot of parties or play a lot of party games, this is one that you definitely need to get.
Now, the next one's one that was quite new to me, very, very recently, actually. It's called Shifty-Eyed Spies by Big G Creative, and I found it really, really fun, actually. So the idea is that all players are spies, and that you are given intel to pass on to another one of the spies, without any other spy knowing. And the way you do that is by catching the attention of the spy that you need to get intel to, you wink at them, they indicate silently where you need to meet them, and when it comes around to your turn, you need to say who you're meeting and where. And if you're right, you score a card. Five scores wins. But the spy that you're trying to get intel to might be trying to get intel to another spy, who then might be trying to get intel to you. And you need to make sure that you know who you're trying to get intel to by catching their eye. If you see anybody else winking at anyone else, you can call them out, throw in a pair of binoculars, a little token, and say, this person is trying to get intel to this person, they reveal the cards, and you score one of them. Easy, but near impossible to do perfectly anyway. I mean, when you're looking at everyone else and everyone else looking at you, you definitely become shifty-eyed spies. I can see this game working amazingly with more than four players. Four is the maximum I've played it with, but it, it was a lot of fun and it was really funny. I can't imagine how intense and silent the room must be with a table full of eight players all staring around the room, waiting for someone to flinch. Of course, our game was made even funnier by the fact that my partner can't, she can't wink. So the game was spent with me and two other players winking at each other and my partner forcefully blinking at people and you just can't keep a straight face at that point. Incredibly, she nearly won, but it's, it's unforeseen how she managed it. And on top of that, the speed the game went, we'd only just set up. Someone had only just explained the rules to us before they were saying, I'm meeting this person at this place and they were trading cards. Me and my partner were like, whoa, what's going on? But you pick it up really, really quickly. The rules, when they were explained to us, were clear and concise, but you could pick it up just by watching people play it. I'd, I'd really recommend this one. Now, the next game that I'm going to talk about is one that I've only ever played in a party situation. It's called Dear Lord by Coval Team. Now, the aim of the game is to complete tasks and odysseys without being caught, or to compete in duels to see who's the better in an abstract activity. We had to vote on two people to see who was the best air guitarist. So it is another game that's quite deceptive and based around secrecy, but also being able to call people out into duels. And the moment you catch someone doing something odd, you show Dear Lord. And should you have caught them, they have to discard their activity card and pick up a card that's been played already. And the activities that you'd be looking for people doing are quite odd. Like, you might be watching out for someone who punches themselves. Should they get round the entire group cycle and say, I managed to punch myself three times and nobody noticed and everyone agrees, yes, you did that, there might be a reward on the bottom of that card that says, everybody has to do you a favour or something along those lines. It's quite obvious when someone is doing something quite abstract, but during that game, when you're watching people so intently and looking for the strangest behaviour, you notice quite a lot about your friends, to be honest. I mean, if it gives you a bit of context as to how much of a party game this one is, we actually played it with a group of non-gamers at a party, and it went down really, really well, actually. We eventually made it into a meta game, so we were playing a game whilst playing Dear Lord. It was difficult, but it was incredible how stealthily people could do the strangest things. We've used it more as a game to play whilst having a drink, as it allows for added hilarity, and it also loosens people up to call people out or do the stranger things, but... Again, it is one of those games that requires a lot of focus, so if you are doing other things at the same time, it can quickly become forgotten about. Now, the next game is one that I have spoken about on my blog previously, I believe. It's called Two Rooms and a Boom by Tuesday Night Games, and this party game is for 6 to 50 players. 
So as you can imagine, it's going to require a lot more space for more players, and ideally, as the name entails, you probably need two rooms. We found it better with more than eight people, but we have played it with five, and it has worked quite well, actually. So it's a game of social deduction. You've got to establish who's on the blue team and who's on the red team. The blue team have the president, and they need the president to be away from the red team's bomber at the end of three rounds. If the bomber and the president are together, the red team win. If the president and the bomber are separate, the blue team wins. And on top of that, you can have a third team if you have got an odd number, and their win condition can be completely separate to that entirely. So as I said, it's run over three rounds, and at the start of each round in each room, each group of people, because it's completely mixed between red and blue, vote on who they believe is, uh, believe is going to be a suitable leader for that room. You can look at each other's cards if you're willing to share, you do not have to, but it often helps if you have more red people in a room, you want someone who is on the red team to be that leader. At the end of the round, you then trade hostages between rooms, and that's how you manage to get the president and the bomber in the same room, or manage to get the president away from the bomber. So, as you can imagine, with so many people playing one game, some people are going to feel like they're a bit lost in it all and don't actually have a big impact, and there's a variation in playstyle for that, where you can use different characters for each team. So no longer would you just be a blue team member, you might be the blue team spy and have a red card and be able to deceive the red team. Or you might be the blue team mine and be really hindered because you're not allowed to speak. That, that is for when you're a little bit more experienced though. We've often played it vanilla first and then moved on every single time we've played. But of course we've never played with more than nine people so we've often struggled to actually manage to use all the cards. Because it's a social deduction game, it's one that requires a lot of communication, so you can't be shy or quiet. But you could be shy and quiet just to be tactical. Um, as I said, there's a third team available, and that's the grey team for when there's an odd number, and they have a completely separate win condition. They might just need to be in a certain room with a certain character. Because this one heavily relies on having lots of people available to play, I can see it not appealing to many people as a party game, but honestly, again, this is one that I would re recommend even if you're able to muster 10 people together, as it is a really good laugh, and also it's one that you could probably whip out at any, uh, any real occasion. The next one I'm going to talk about is Secret Hitler by Gov, Wolf and Cabbage, which I already know is a really, really well-known game. But just in case you haven't heard of it, the idea is you've got two teams working to control the flow of the game, the Liberals and the Fascists. The Liberals want Liberal policies to be played, the Fascists want Fascist policies. Players are given roles randomly and they are kept secret. No one knows anyone's role except for the Fascists. They know who are Liberal and who are the Fascists, and they also know who Hitler is. But Hitler knows nothing. Each round, players must vote on a President and a Vice-Chancellor. The President then picks three policies up at random, discards one, passes the other two to the Chancellor, who then discards one, and plays the other. Then, really, really? Anarchy breaks loose and everyone starts pointing fingers because the first thing the president says is I got two blues and a red so I discarded a blue to see what the chancellor was doing and the chancellor will say no you didn't you give me two reds so I played one of the reds and suddenly everybody is Hitler. Like many other games that are party games it is another social deduction one but this is one that you can win by being quite tactical and staying quiet because most of the time it's the liberals who are the ones who are loud and also raise the most suspicion, and then end up being collared as Hitler. And as time goes on, the more fascist policies that are played, whoever's president at the time, they get to do certain things, and certain things happen within the game. And it also means that at certain points, they can assassinate another player. And nine times out of ten, the person assassinated was not Hitler or a fascist, but they were the mouthy one. 
I've also found that playing with friends is absolutely no help, as I've been Hitler before, and won, but I've also lost when someone I would never expect to be Hitler was Hitler. And, again, when people are silent, they're the ones who you've got to watch. My group absolutely loved this one, as when the Liberals are winning, it causes the Fascists to play really dirty. And when the Fascists are winning, it means the flow of the game has changed, and eventually it means that the President at the time gets to do some unique stuff. And when you've been killed, it's heart-wrenching when you pull out that card and show that you're Liberal. And all the Fascists, you can see them immediately smiling. They know what they've done, they've done it good. This is another party game I'd really recommend, but I give it with some advice. Pointing the finger helps, but being too gobby means that you're going to raise suspicions and you, you are going to get shot. The final game I'm going to talk about is Scroll by Big Potato Games, which actually won as a competition by them. And I would immediately describe it as a filthy version of Telestrations. And that in itself makes it a fantastic game. The idea is you take a card with a questionable item on it, you draw it, you pass your drawing on to someone else, they have a guess at what it is, they pass it on, they draw what they wrote, you pass it on, and it goes round until it gets back to you. And then you reveal the sequence of drawings. The most grins wins. Now I've been told from when I've played things like Pictionary, I'm not a bad artist when it comes down to it, especially in a competitive situation. But Scroll doesn't rely on that. Scroll needs you to be a bad artist. That way you're going to get the best interpretation of a bad drawing. And as it goes on, it's going to get more and more twisted. This one is a real adult party game. Those less experienced in the more questionable things in the world will really struggle to draw what they think it is. But for those that are, it's only going to make it even funnier. So there you have it. Those are my six party games I would recommend for this next coming year. I know six is a bit of an odd number to recommend, but I thought of six games. I thought I'd recommend them. Um, if you've got any recommendations yourself, or if you've got any comments on what I've said, please do let me know. I'm still not sure as to if I've broken any podcasting laws from the last one, but nobody's come and told me off, so I must be doing something right. And have a good New Year's, guys, and I shall see you next year.